What's up, y'all, and welcome into the Jack Vita Show. I'm your host, Jack Vita. We have a great episode coming up here. We have an awesome guest. He was on The Bachelorette a couple years ago, and he's a huge sports fan. We're going to talk all things uh, sports, uh, reality TV, faith, uh, a lot of great stuff to get into today. For those who are just checking out this show for the first time, make sure you subscribe to the Jack Vita Show wherever it is that you get your podcast. And uh, log on to my website, jackvita.com. Let me bring in our guest for the day, Garrett Powell. How often are you confused with the other Garrett from The Bachelor? <laughs> pretty good bit, especially on social media. But <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty good bit. Different ends of the country, but that's okay. We'll let it slide. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, it's great to have you here. Um, for those that don't know, Garrett Powell, he was on uh, Bachelorette Hannah Brown season. And I must admit, Garrett, I did not watch your season. I've seen I've seen The Bachelor. I've seen a little bit, but I didn't catch your season. You uh, you didn't miss much, man. You didn't <laughs> miss much. <laughs> well, I got some good stuff. We'll get to the bachelor stuff later. I was able to gather some questions, uh, but I want to know a little bit about your athletic background. You're a golf pro, and I was doing a little research on you. I saw you were a pretty good high school quarterback back in the day. Back in the day, yeah, man, yeah, Homewood High School, go Patriots, yeah. <laughs> it was fun. I was, uh, you know, convinced myself in fifth grade I was going to win the Heisman Trophy somehow. So, <laughs> but then. Uh, yeah, I had two offers out of high school, um, both one double A schools. You know, I was like six feet tall, 205 pounds, was more of a uh, spread kind of guy that always, or sorry, was more of a uh, pro style kind of guy that always seemed to be in a spread system. <laughs> so, um, and it got hurt really bad, had a tip fracture my senior year, oh. lost both offers. So walked on at University of South Alabama and found out real quick that I might need to choose another sport. <laughs> it's crazy, man. By the way, you uh you are frozen now for me on the on my screen. Here. I can see you. Okay. I don't know what's going on with it. Let me try that. <laughs> man. Oh, there we go. Cool. All right, we got you. So, okay, so you transitioned to golf. How did you uh, – I, mean, I have to think you grew up playing a lot of sports. You weren't just picking up a golf club at age 19 or whatever. Yeah, we um, – soccer, football, baseball, uh, golf here and there. We didn't come up – I wasn't born in the most uh, financially well-off family, so we only played golf when my dad got, like, paid. And so that's how you knew things were good because he always <laughs> took us to play golf and stuff like that, right? Um, and so – um, I joined the golf team in high school so I can skip baseball practices and I skipped like <laughs> seven baseball practices. Didn't really care that much. Uh, when I was at South Alabama, I, um, after practice would go and walk across campus. There was a course across the street from campus called Azalea city and I go play golf there. And one day I shot 75, you know, probably with mulligans every other hole, you know, gimmies from six feet, not a legit 75. But I was like, whoa, I'm pretty good. And so <laughs> I was like, okay, well, let me see if I can play in junior college. Um, so called around junior colleges in Alabama. Um, called this guy named Coach Jennings, who's at Central Alabama Community College. And he's like, hey, I don't have a spot, but Coach York at Wall State, just get the kid off their team. Maybe give him a call. And I was like, cool. So gave him a call, told him my story. And he was like, well, that's great. You know, if you're in the area, just let me know. I'd love to play with you. And I was like, coach, this is what I want to do. So give me a day and I'll be there. He said, okay, 
be there on Monday. And this was like a Saturday. And I'm like, crap, I've got no time. I was like a 13 handicap and I told him I was a scratch. So yeah, lied straight. <laughs> um, so I got there, end up shooting one under through six holes, which is of course, 13 handicap. You never do that. Um, and after hole number six, we're on 17 by He was like, Garrett, I gotta go. But I've seen enough. I'm gonna give you a spot on the team and I'll call you in a couple of days to touch base. And so I finished playing that nine and I went like, I finished like double bogey, double bogey, triple bogey, but he never saw it. So I got a call <laughs> two days later and um, he offered me a full ride there, uh, which is pretty crazy. I'm, I was like, this guy has no idea what he just did. He, he offered a football player with golf clubs, a golf scholarship. Right? <laughs> so played terrible all year just cause I was bad, you know? <laughs> and, uh, but as fate would have it, um, the director of the PGA golf management program at Mississippi state used to be a recruit of coach York's. So he was like, Hey, Mississippi state has this golf program. You know, I think you might like it. You might want to look into it. So I went to state for that. Um, and basically it teaches you the golf operation side from a business perspective. You know, I tell people that I'm a golf professional and they're like, Oh, where are you, where, where are you playing this week on tour? And I get <laughs> DMS all the time saying, Hey, are you playing a Jack's tournament at the Memorial? And I'm like, I'm not that kind of professional guys. <laughs> so yeah, for all, for all those out there who don't know, PJ professionals master in the business of the game of golf. Uh, Tour professionals or professional golfers master their they make their money playing in tournaments. You know, PJ professionals make their money also playing in tournaments, but it's not their sole source of income. We have a actual job. We organize tournaments. We teach. You know, we run the golf operation. We also play professionally on the side. Um, but yeah, I love it. That's that's a long winded answer, but that's kind <laughs> no, of no, it's great. That's a great story. Yeah, no, I know a little bit about the golf stuff because, I mean, I, I'm not a good golfer, but my aunt played on the LPGA Tour and was the tour president not too cool. long ago. That's awesome. Yeah. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah, so, uh, and now she's she's doing the whole uh, pro thing, giving lessons. She only gets out there on the Legends Tour occasionally, but, yeah. That's awesome, man. It's pretty yeah. sweet. So, as a quarterback in the state of Alabama, were any were there any guys that you played in camps with who uh, we would end up seeing playing on Saturdays? The D one level, Winston. yeah. So, Ooh. Jameis Winston went to Hueytown, and before South Alabama, I went to this guy named Otis Leverett, who was uh, down Highway two eighty, kind of towards the Chelsea area in Birmingham. And so, me and Jameis Winston also. So, Amir Abdullah. They're running uh, yeah. one of the kickoff specialists for uh, the Vikings was my running back in high school. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So he's, he's, he's quick, man. He, uh, someone, some SEC school told him he was too small and he just ate that alive and <laughs> it powered him all the way up to the NFL. It's a great story. Um, but yeah, so Amir, myself, my twin brother, Austin, some other people and Jameis Winston were all training together uh, under Otis and it was a lot of speed training Otis's philosophy was kids are not ready for college athletics. So I'm going to get them ready. He was a six foot eight, three or 280 pound dude who uh, spent eight years with the chargers and he was around LaDainian Tomlinson all the time. So he trained people like crazy, but the only two quarterbacks there were, were myself and Jameis. Um, she called him J boo. <laughs> but um, so I just remember, man, um, 
I was a graduated senior heading to South and he was an upcoming sophomore and had, or either upcoming sophomore or upcoming junior and had 31 uh, D one offers already. And he, I remember seeing him sling the rock and I remember thinking this kid is so much better than me, like, <laughs> so much better than me. Um, but yeah, those are the two that I played against. Um, when I played against Hoover, um, so Hoover High School is a school down the road. You know, you might recognize the name Hoover from uh, MTV show Two Days back in the day. That was the school they did it about. Um, so I remember, God, I remember my junior year playing Hoover. All four of their defensive linemen had Division One SEC offers. <laughs> so like it was like two, like the two ends were Vanderbilt. The middle was Kentucky, and then another guy. Um, was Alabama and then they had a middle linebacker in up playing at Tennessee and it was just crazy you know I was the biggest guy on our offense in high school and I was a quarterback so we it was just it was like I'm sure you were in for a long night that night yeah it's like being in a washing machine man you just get thrown (laughs) around everywhere but it was cool playing as people like that and real talent and watching where those guys are now following their careers it was because you want to play against the best even if you're not the best yourself it's just more fun that way and so you ended up at Mississippi State. You transferred in there, right? I did. Yeah. So you were probably there around the time Dak Prescott was there. Yeah. So his junior and senior year were when I was I was there. But yeah. yeah, you weren't you weren't on the roster there. You know, it's funny. I was doing my research. Some like people wrote about the Bachelor thought you played quarterback at Mississippi State. I rode that wave, man. I was like. I, I never addressed it, but I saw that too. And I was like, hey, if they want to think that, I'll let them think that. You know, it's just brownie points in my corner, right? <laughs> yeah, I was looking and I was like, I was looking at the roster and I was like, you're not on the roster. Like, that's really weird. Like, I saw your, uh, like, it was either Arrivals or ESPN recruiting profile. I was like, okay, this guy, he was a legitimate quarterback at some point, yeah. but I don't think he was on Mississippi State. <laughs> I think they gave me like a half star rating or something like that. <laughs> Man, yeah, I was I wasn't a uh I was not a shifty runner at all. That's part of the reason why I broke my leg. I was that was around the time where Tebow was playing. And so that was just a ground and pound kind of guy. Like if I was running it, we ran we actually ran Malzahn's offense in high school. And because our O line was so small, we did a lot of rollout passes or we didn't even have a running game. We just went in five wide and threw a short pass, right? Um, but it was fun. But there's a lot of opportunity for quarterback runs. I used to just run it and just try to lower my shoulder and get everything I could. But uh, that's probably a big reason why I wasn't highly sought after as a recruit because I wasn't that fast. (laughs) It took me like 10 yards to get up to full speed. So, (laughs) you know, maybe in another life I'll I'll be a good quarterback. Good stuff, Garrett. So speaking of uh, quarterbacks here, we had the NFL draft last night. Uh, Five quarterbacks go in the first round. I want to know how you would rank these quarterbacks. I know you're also a big college football fan. How would you rank these guys transferring to the pro game? Um, Well, I think the best one is going to be Justin Fields. Really? I think he's going to be the easiest – yeah, I think he's going to have the easiest time just because of his demeanor. Um, the guy's kind of been through the grind. He kind of he has the background of the pro system being at Georgia. Um, and obviously, Ohio State has a version of it, too. Uh, I wouldn't say it's quite as conservative as Georgia's, but that's what I think. Um, I'm drawing a blank on his name. 
um, BYU kid, Zach uh, Wilson. Yeah, I don't. I don't know, man. I, I'm interested to hear your opinion about him, um, especially going to the Jets. I just I feel like that's where quarterbacks go to die. That or the Redskins. And <laughs> yeah. I, I want I want him to do well, but I just don't see coming from the system at BYU. It's it's kind of like what we've always said. If you're in like the Big Twelve or a SEC, you can maybe make an argument for the ACC or the, the Pac-10, but the Big, Big 12 and SEC are those conferences where you're around NFL caliber guys every single week. Yeah. If you're playing at BYU, not taking anything away from that school, but you're not playing the Alabamas, the Auburns, you know, the Clemsons or the Ohio States or Michigans or stuff like that. So what do you think about it? I love him. I'm really high on him. And – just to clarify, uh, we haven't mentioned Trevor Lawrence's name. Do you have Justin ahead of Trevor? I do. Yeah. Oh wow. I do. Yeah. I know. I know. I'm I'm no draft expert, man, but <laughs> I think Jacksonville's a good spot for Trevor. Um, but solely because, again, I feel like the competition factor for Justin Fields. He's had Big Twelve and SEC, right? He he gets it, which is more of what he's going to face there, Trevor. I think he's going to do really well. Don't get me wrong. Um, I guess I just feel like the stars are going to be a little more aligned. I mean, you saw Chicago last year. Right. The one thing they were really missing, they had good quarterback plays that was like spotty, but you realize like if they had consistently good quarterback play, they would have been a pretty big power. Right. But the problem they need an is, offensive like, line too, but yeah. 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 But I feel like if you're going to get someone um, who can kind of, if you're going to get a quarterback who could help the offensive line, it would be Justin Fields. I just don't know, and maybe it's just me not knowing enough about Jacksonville, what all Jacksonville has to back up Trevor Lawrence, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, so in terms of not even knowing where they're going, just in terms of the prospect, would you yeah. still have Justin ahead of Trevor in that regard? I would, yeah. I know I'm in the minority on that. <laughs> But the dude is just a freak of nature, man. Like, I know that's not all it, but I just get <laughs> excited when I see guys like that, you know? Dude, I love it. I love to see uh, the bold bold takes, bold opinions. Yeah. For me, I'm actually on the other end of things. I got Trevor number one. I love Zach Wilson. I watch BYU a good amount. Uh, and I guess the one concern I will give you is Zach Wilson he only started this year. He had to win that job going into camp That's last true. summer. I forgot about that. It's true. Yeah, but he's got a big arm. He's raw. He's probably going to take a year. Uh, if the Jets throw him out there week one, uh, that would be the most Jetsian thing that the Jets could do. It'd be horrible for him. But uh, as a prospect, I love his arm, big arm. And then, you know, I'm, I'm split on the other three guys. I feel like you could talk me into any of the other three admittedly I didn't see Trey Lance play at all I just he played one game yeah he played one game this year and then the FCS moved this spring and then he opted out of the FCS as he should and um and then with you know with Mac Jones I actually like Mac Jones quite a bit because he's really accurate I I was paying attention to Alabama spring game uh was it two weeks ago uh Bryce Young he's gonna be their starting quarterback this year and in his first game, he was 25 of 44, which is, you know, that's all right. 19 incompletions. Mac 
had 17 incompletions over the final 10 games of the season. So I, I really like Mac a lot. I mean, I do think that this is a really good cru- uh, really good crop in general, though. So you might not like what I'm about to say, but I actually put Mac ahead of Trevor. Oh, wow. Because so here's my two reasons. One, he played for Saban. I think you have to, as far as NFL goes, that carries a weight that people might not understand playing for a guy like that, just the professionalism that's involved in that. Um, and I've, I've had friends that's played for Saban. And they said the same thing. It's like, no matter if you're going to play in the NFL or you're going to the business world, it's only going to help you from there on. Right. Um, oh yeah. And I can't help, but make the reference of kind of like a Tom Brady, like a guy who really relatively in the rest of the class is kind of a no name or people forgot about him. But again, Pro style system, right? Um, obviously perform well. And the one game that pops up in my mind is the Iron Bowl two years ago, not last year, but the year before. So Auburn won that game barely. It was a shootout. It was a great game. But Mac missed, made, I mean, Mac made some throws that game that were incredible. And he threw, there was two throws that cost Bama that game. Both of them, he made the right read. It was just a bad throw, which is easily fixable. But if you go back and watch that game, Mac went off, absolutely went off. Um, and that's the game that, and that was really his first pressure game he ever had to play in, right? And he showed up for it for the most part. So that to me is, and again, I, I think I've always looked at like the, these like top draft guys, and they always end up being over heights. And I don't mind Trevor Lawrence at all. I hope he does well. I just can't help but think Mac is flying under the radar and he's a, you know, he's a, kind of a no-name coming from a big school, just like Brady, right? You know, he's got – I saw on ESPN, I show he's got similar body Brady did. He's not – He does, he yeah. Look, he doesn't look like an athlete. He looks like a frat guy, right? <laughs> but, I mean, that's – I think that too, man. Um, so, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I love the landing spot for Mac Jones. I mean, it's perfect. If Bill mm-hmm. Belichick wants you – and yeah. they're going to run those little short pass plays. He's extremely accurate. Great spot. I'm just, I, I will say, I'm nervous for Fields in Chicago. This is a hard job. I live here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's, I'm actually a Steelers fan, though. But, uh, <laughs> oh, uh, man. yeah, yeah, I know, right? Um, but it's, it's really ch- Chicago starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears. And I'd say the two games that made me, I just don't know what Justin Fields is because he had the two game stretch. I got the numbers here, Indiana and Northwestern, which are two top 20 defenses. Definitely the best he saw in the big 10 this year, 30 of 57, 414 yards, two touchdowns, five interceptions sacked eight times. Um, is it going to be, I mean, like, is he, we, so we've seen the bad with him, but then we've also seen that Clemson game where he was superhuman. Uh, so I, and you know, we've never seen a good Ohio state quarterback yet in the NFL. So mm-hmm. I think he's got, I mean, I think I gotta say, I love him. He was one of my favorite players to watch in college. And I really hope he, uh, he proves me wrong in a lot of regards. And I hope he does awesome here, but I, I just think he's going to have a tough time. Yeah. And he might, and I think it might be one of those things where, um, it's going to be one or the other is one. He's going to be tough starting out and he's going to mature late. And he's yeah. going to become that great quarterback or he's going to be like a Cam Newton where he blows out of the gate. No one can adjust to him. But then five years down the line, everyone hasn't figured out. 
I feel like it's going to be one of those. Um, Interesting. One of those, yeah. And I, yeah. And, and I think, I think the natural reaction is to assume he's going to be like Cam Newton because his playing style is very similar. You know, stature is very similar, but I just think again, you know, Cam came from a spread system fields has, in my opinion, more of a pro style background. So um, I don't, I think you're right. I do think he's got some good veterans around him um, that can coach him up. I know Chicago's happy that they don't have to start. Oh yeah. Alton. So <laughs> yeah. I know they're happy about that. So, um, oh man, but yeah, you got a point there. No, they are very optimistic and that's a good thing. I mean, I want people here in Chicago to be optimistic, but, um, yeah, no, is there, was there anything else from the draft in round one last night that caught your eye? Um, I was interested to see who my bucks were going to pick. I picked that linebacker out of Washington and just because, I mean, who do they really need? I mean, I'm just being real. I'm sounding like a cocky Buck fan, but who do they really need? Honestly, right? It's um, I think the guy's an outside linebacker, and I was thinking they're outside linebacker or some shoe in that corner a couple of years down the road. But um, yeah, I was I was just curious to see what they were going to do. But I guess it's a good pick. I mean, it, literally, you could have put a blindfold on, thrown a dart at the board. And gotten anybody, I think they would have been okay. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, my Steelers ended up going the running back route. They picked up Najee Harris from Alabama. And what was that? I saw that. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, pick. yeah. No, he's gonna. I mean, I love having another star running back for this team. They're gonna need to shore up that offensive line, though. That's that's. Uh, they're gonna need to do that tonight. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. yeah. Fingers <laughs> crossed, man. Fingers <laughs> crossed. What do you um? You think he's going to be the the main guy? Yeah, I think he'll be the feature back. I mean, really, last year there wasn't even a running game. I would say there just wasn't a ru- an attempt at a running game. They weren't. They didn't have a very good offense. Again, they were, they couldn't run block very well. And honestly, I thought Ben didn't get enough credit for how well he played last year because he took a Steelers team that. A year before that was, I think, an eight and eight team. Last year they start come out of the gate eleven and zero, and yes, they hit a, a slump down the stretch of the season. But Ben was, I mean, that receiving core I think is overrated. You got guys dancing on TikTok. They led the league in drops last year. Uh, not a great offensive line. Now their defense is spectacular, but uh, I think with Ben, you saw a big, uh, big upgrade from Mason Rudolph to Ben Roethlisberger a season oh, ago. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, that's for sure. I just wonder. I mean, I don't really pay attention much, obviously, to Steelers football too much. I just, I'm curious to see what he's got left in him, man. You know. So, yeah, I think this is going to be the last year. That, that'd yeah. be my guess. Yeah, because he used to be. Because one thing I noticed from a quarterback perspective is the first thing you start seeing is kind of the escapability go. Um, the second thing you see is the arm start to go. Um, and you know, I, I, the prime suspect with that is Philip Rivers. Um, oh yeah, the guy has never really been escapable, but his arm. I mean, the ball is just drooping on him the last five years. It didn't just happen last year. Um, but I remember Big Ben has always kind of looked the same, but he's always been a lot more escapable than he looks like he is. But watching him play last year, it 
he just doesn't have that same there's no escapability factor anymore. You know, it used to be, oh, well, he might squeak out and get like a five to 10 yard run here. Now it's just like, okay, no, let's just box him in and he'll be fine. And I kind of tell me if I'm wrong. I kind of think I can see the arm strength going too. I think the arm strength is still there. I just think the thing is that their uh, offensive coordinator, who's no longer with the team after last year, uh, which made a lot of sense. He was very committed to this very, uh, get the ball out quick in two seconds and don't throw the ball downfield. And then there was a game where they're playing the Colts around week 15 or something like that, maybe week 16. And they got down and they were actually letting him air it out. And I, I had the same thing where I thought, does he not have the arm strength anymore in that game? He was throwing the ball very well downfield. He still, he still has that. And that was, one of the strong points of his game. I thought the Steelers were more dynamic when they did that. They also in that, uh, oh gosh, that, that playoff game where they got down 28, nothing in the yeah. first half in, against Cleveland. Oh man. Yeah. I, I don't want to relive that one at all, but oh, <laughs> in that game, he was throwing down the field in the second half. He looked good. So I think maybe, you know, it's definitely, I wouldn't say it's a hundred percent of what it was, but a good amount of it is still there. I think. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how much I, I can see him. I mean, I can. Is this the last year of his contract too? So he restructures his contract every single year. So I think he's restructured his. <laughs> I was exaggerating. I think he's exa- He's uh, restructured his deal five different times now. So it's very fluid. Uh, it basically like he. I don't even know. I actually don't know because it's been ch- it's been changed so many times. I don't know what the I, new. I can see him playing after this year, two or three more, or not playing, but sidelining two or three more years, and you know, going to a team like the Bears. Well, the Bears, the Bears could be that. I was thinking also um, Dallas, just to be filling that kind of mentor role for like Dak. Or oh, any, yeah. uh, Jacksonville, anybody just go in there for like have one year deal after one year deal and just bring him in as a veteran backup, but really it's kind of a mentor slash coach. I could see that happening. I could see that too. I, it'd be tough for him to, uh, to, I mean, it would have to be a situation where the Steelers are basically like, you're not going to start anymore. He'd have yeah. to accept that and embrace that new role. But yeah, I, th- I think you would be good in that role. I would say. Yeah, I agree. All right, Garrett. So we are in baseball season right now, and you were telling me you're a big Atlanta Braves fan. Uh, so is Alabama? Is that Braves country? It is. It is. Yeah. I. Uh, it's. It's. We're only about two hours away from Atlanta, so it's pretty easy. As soon as they open, I haven't been to the game in a while, but as soon as they open their new stadium, uh, went to a few games. Man, that new stadium is awesome. It's so cool. Yeah, it was. Uh, now it's called Truest Park, I believe. Yeah, so it was going to be SunTrust, and then SunTrust got bought out, I think. Um, but then before that was the old school Turner Field. Yep, which was just like old and it was way too big. But fun fact: so um, Truest Park is now proximity. If you're, a, it has the closest fan to field proximity in the whole Major League Baseball of all the stadiums. So I didn't know that. My buddy that I went to the game with told me that. Um, but it's actually they built it to be smaller than Turner. Um, but it feels smaller, more compact. It feels like you're more, I guess, like I said, on top of the field, closer to the action. 
So it's pretty cool. That's sweet. Yeah, I need to go down there. I did drive through Atlanta. That was almost, it was two months ago. I was going down to Florida and I stopped and I went to the Varsity in downtown Atlanta. Yeah. 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 Burger, what would you get there? Chili cheese dogs. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I used to, I used to, actually, before I went on the show, I dated a girl from Atlanta. So pretty, the Buckhead area. Um, so pretty familiar with the area. It's varsity's good, man. Good. A lot of late nights there. So. Yeah, I think that's so. We had it like it was a real long line, and we, my brother was like, he had some friends from it, that area, and he said, "What's good in this area? I want to eat something local that I can get on on the on the way down to Florida." And we drove. I mean, we were in the car for what should have been ten hours, and it ended up being fourteen hours, probably. Where you nice. just keep stopping, stopping, stopping. Yeah, we were there for probably about forty-five minutes. <laughs> it was Man. like in the middle of the afternoon. Uh, Slow-moving line, but good food, good spot. So next time you're down there, check out a place called. Uh, it's actually, um, it's a bar, but they all they also serve food. It's called the Ivy. Um, and what's really cool about the Ivy? It's the coolest. If if you, if you're into like. I guess day drinking on like a Saturday or just tailgating all day on a Saturday. Um, go to the Ivy in Atlanta because basically every female there wears a football jersey of their college team. <laughs> every male wears like a PFG or a golf shirt with their college team on it. And everyone just goes and you either just have stuff to eat, you can have stuff to eat and watch games and tailgate. Or you can be those people who just like parties, uh, <laughs> but they open at like noon on Saturday and they're open until like, I think like 3 a.m. Um, but it's, that's a really cool spot and they have something for everybody. So it's kind of, if you're ever in the area on a Saturday uh, during football season, that's a good spot to be. There, that sounds awesome. There's so many places in the South that I want to explore. And I yeah. hadn't been down. I mean, I've been to Florida. I've been to Tennessee, but I hadn't really been into your neck of the woods until I was a senior in high school. We did a missions trip in Jasper, Alabama. Yeah. I don't know how. Yeah. How far is that from you? I think like an hour 45. It's uh, northwest of Birmingham. Yeah, they got they had those tornadoes. So we helped rebuild a house that got uh destroyed but yeah it was i was it was i had no experience with the south now i absolutely love the south want to move down there want to go to all these different sec football games it just it's yeah it's great it's cool man i i I dated another girl from new hampshire and the first time she flew into birmingham i was uh taking her bat from birmingham to um my parents house at the time and uh we were going by downtown Birmingham. She's like, wow, y'all have tall buildings. And I was like, what'd you think we had? And she was like, I didn't, she was like, I didn't know y'all had like uh, tall buildings. And I'm like, well, yeah, <laughs> like we're not like dirt road banjo. Like everybody thinks we are down here. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a cool spot. And then you sprinkle in college football with that too. It's uh, it's awesome. I just thought that was funny though. <laughs> yeah. To, to us, it's it's not even something that we take offense to. It's just funny when I hear people's interpretation of like Alabama when they've never been there. It's always hilarious <laughs> to see. Well, I drove through Arkansas not too long ago, and I'm actually making that drive to uh, from back home from Fort Worth, Texas uh, in a week. I'm flying down there, helping my sister move out from school. We come back home. 
And when we drove through Arkansas, at least the parts that we drove through, we did not see a lot aside from Little Rock. It was a lot of, it's a lot of like there were some woods and a lot of vacant fields. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Alabama definitely, we can get that way too. <laughs> not saying we're not. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like Birmingham, Huntsville, uh, Mobile, Montgomery are the hot spots. But there's definitely some, uh, <laughs> we definitely have trailers and uh, farms. everywhere so but birmingham's kind of like a diamond in the rough where it's a nice town it's it's settled in between two mountains red mountain and double oak mountain and so um you know we're at the very tail end of the appalachian mountains so we call them mountains they're probably not mountains compared to most people but you know very moderate atmosphere you know um i love it down here it's pretty cool (laughs) Uh, you're making me want to come back down sometime. I'm going to have to do that. <laughs> come on, man. Come on. <laughs> All right. So you're a big Braves fan. Braves right now. Uh, weird start to the season, 12 and 13. But 12 and 13 at this time ties them for uh, first place in the National League East. It's... <laughs> yeah. How crazy is that? <laughs> yeah. And especially when we were saying this is going to be the best division in baseball this year, too. Yeah. Well, it's so good. It's eating itself alive, I guess you could say. <laughs> but 12 and 13, yeah, it's that's not what I thought we'd be. I, I Honestly, I, I thought we'd have yeah, – obviously, we're going to have some losses. But I thought around five or six at this point would be about right. But, nah. No, I think it's that 60-game season conditioned us a little bit to think that, you know, there's a little more urgency and that this, like, if you lose five games in a row, it's a big deal. But it's not a big deal when you play 162. And 60-game season it is. Uh, Nevertheless, let's – I got – I mean, I'm glad I have you on at this time because I feel like the Braves are the perfect team to talk about on a national level right now because Sunday they play the doubleheader – they get shut out in both games. They get no hit in one game. Uh, the other game, they have one hit. Uh, what did you think about that? Uh, obviously, Madison Bumgarner, they're not, the MLB is not recognizing this as a no hitter. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think it's a no hitter. <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> I don't know, man. It's, um, I don't know. I, I think they're just, I think people are taking the game right now just in general and they're trying to let the boys play, right? Just let them play. I I believe it's a no-hitter. I don't know why anyone would kind of – I guess, too, I haven't really done – this is something I heard about. I haven't really done too much research in, but I don't really know. I don't understand why you would take that away from somebody like that when it's obviously a no-hitter. Yeah. I I just – I'm curious to hear your opinion. And, of course, I don't know – now, I catch up on my sports instead of watching replays and stuff, just a typical sports center way. Um, <laughs> right. So, what? Tell me your viewpoint about it and kind of explain as because I, I heard they aren't recognizing it, but I don't really hear the explanation behind it. So, I think what they were saying was like a true no hitter. You record twenty seven outs. Um, I don't agree with that, though, because I think it's hypocritical from the league office to say that seven innings is a full game. And yet seven innings, you you know, you don't give up any hits. You can't call it anything aside from a no hitter. Like that's stupid. By definition, it is a no hitter. Now, if you want to say, oh, well, it was a seven inning no hitter. okay, 
you could. But I think right now, I was hearing Jason Stark talk about this this morning on MLB Network. He was saying, why don't we start calling this thing uh, the seven-inning no-hitter, the Bumgarner? Because he was the first guy to do it. We'll probably see it again at some point. And while it's lame for the league office to ignore it and not call it no-hitter, we all know it's a no-hitter. Everyone who watched the game knows it's a no-hitter. You give up no hits, it's a no-hitter. And now it's a trademark no-hitter that Madison Bumgarner threw that everyone's going to remember. So... I'm gonna I'm gonna take that and run with it and ask you about something that happened years ago. Okay. So what about Barry Bonds and the home run title? All right. Because technically he did get the home run title, even though he kind of and obviously Bumgarner didn't cheat. He just had played seven innings. But Barry Bonds cheated. So does that home run title stick in your mind? Because again, so my I see both sides. My argument is, and I, I was a Barry Bonds fan, so that's probably why I make this argument. <laughs> Is you have to have good technique to hit the ball out. Yes, added muscle does help, of course. Speedy recoveries do help. Um, but still, there has to be some aspect of, hey, this guy was very talented, right? He did cheat. But I want to hear your perspective on that based off what you just said about the Bumgarner rule. Yeah, that's a great question. So you're asking me if I th- think of him as the home run king or that I – count all those home runs as the same total both okay so i would actually go i would say yes to one and no to the other i would say all those home runs happened um but and i you can't like it's the same thing with houston astros people want to take their championship away like it happened i would penalize them for the future and say like with the houston astros i would not have i would have issued one of those postseason bans that they do in college football You yep. say, I'd say you're ineligible for this next postseason. You can't play in it. Um, but you're not like, you can't change history. Those things happened. I would say that in my opinion, Hank Aaron is the true home run King, uh, which should make you happy to, to some extent as a Braves fan. Uh, yeah. but yeah, I think that would be like my, uh, my moderate answer there in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's kind of like in the golf world too. Some people, <clears throat> well, we're shifting all over the place now. But yeah, I uh, know it's great. I love that's, it. That's how my mind works, I guess. Some people <laughs> have the argument of, oh, well, who's better, Jack Nicholas or Tiger Woods, right? And yeah. you know, you take you, there's so many different views of that argument, and so many factors you could put into play. Um, so it's just interesting. I think all this stuff kind of ties together. And I love having conversations like that, right? And it's cool Absolutely. hearing different perspectives, too. Yeah, 100 percent. And so the Braves had really an interesting week because they they put up one hit on Sunday through 14 innings, no runs. And then Dansby Swanson decides he's going to go a little crazy with this sage here. And I, I had never heard of this going on at the major league level before. He was burning sage. And I think he was, you might be able to explain this a little better than I was, but I think he, he was going all around the ballpark burning sage or was he, or was it all around the clubhouse? I thought it was around the clubhouse, but I, again, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, what's his face in major league two did that in the locker room. Right. <laughs> so I, mean, I guess it's a thing. Serrano. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah, so yeah, it, you're, that's a good point. Uh, the Braves take three or four from the Cubs. Hopefully for the Braves, this is uh, they're starting to, to get it back. I mean, they are without Freed and Soroka. They got a few other guys that are on the DL right now. But 
Uh, is morale back up for you now as a Braves fan after what we saw this week? It's kind of trending. So, like, baseball, as you know, is arguably the biggest momentum game there is. Uh, you could say football is too, but o- over the course of the season, um, I mean, momentum is just huge, right? And it's always best to kind of be almost peaking by all-star break, I feel like, because then you really hit the ground running after that break and they just ride that momentum wave. And obviously we're not there yet. We're still a few months away, but I, I hope that we're kind of on, you know, those, you know, five, six game win streaks consistently right by all-star break. Cause then after that, we can just really get going. Um, but I feel like to answer your question about now, I feel like it's kind of like we've hit the trough and now we're kind of starting to go back up a little bit. So if the Braves are in the stock market, now would be the time to invest. <laughs> I agree. Ian Anderson has picked up right where he left off from last year. He was excellent. I uh, brought up middle of last season, made his debut, was mm-hmm. excellent in the postseason. He's been excellent uh, so far to start this season. Yeah, it's a big, big part for sure. And it's... um. There's a lot of questions being brought up, too, because you don't really know how those players are going to react, right? It's a bigger stage, but I mean, he did what everyone thought he was going to do, right? Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, that's been – I mean, you got to get Max Freed back. Hopefully Soroka isn't gone for too long. I mean, he that's – the Achilles is a horrible injury to come back from. That's really tough. But uh, thankfully, he is a pitcher, so it's not like he's going to need – uh, too much athleticism, and we might have the designated hitter coming over to National League in a year, which I would prefer was not the case. Uh, but uh, no, the Braves, I, I picked the Braves to win the World Series this year, Garrett. So I did too, and that's just a, being a biased Braves fan because <laughs> I swear for the last five years I've been saying, oh, man, this this is it. This is it. We're here. We're here. But it's, um, yeah, it's, it's kind of like uh, – I mean, I was a little smaller then, but this year the excitement around the Braves was kind of the same excitement the year. Um, I don't know if you remember this. I don't remember what year it was. When John Smoltz transitioned from closer to starter. I think that was 01. Was it 01? I don't know. It was back then, though. But um, obviously, yeah, I was a lot younger. But (laughs) I remember because my dad's a big Braves fan, too, and he always talks about it. Um, And that was kind of the buzz around that year. and obviously the way we finished last year, you kind of have this building anticipation for this year of, oh, okay, it's going to be it. It's going to be, you know, we're back to the full season. You know, at the time we had the All-Star game, which we don't have to go into that. <laughs> no, but, we won't. <laughs> um, yeah, gosh, just crazy. Um, but it was just kind of like, okay, this just seems to be like the stars are lining up for us. Yeah, and I think right now what's so interesting is that the Dodgers, the last episode I did, uh, Brian Cohen was on with me and Brian was saying that he, uh, Brian said that this Dodgers team could win 120 games. They were on track to do that and they could, they're, they have a great team, but you know what we saw ever since Brian made that proclamation and hopefully Brian's listening to this right now, the Dodgers are now on a losing skid. They lost, I think seven of their last nine, something of that nature. Um, and that's that's to be expected with baseball. I really think last year, I mean, the, the Braves had them beat. They were so close last yeah, year. They did. I think they can beat the Dodgers. And I think the what what really shocked me last year was how poor the Braves bullpen did in the postseason because mm-hmm. 
that was the clear advantage I saw in that series. I said, Braves bullpen, I like their bullpen more than Dodgers bullpen. Dodgers bullpen uh, had some cracks in it, and uh, (laughs) I ended up being very wrong on that projection. Well, it kind of reminds me, and I'm not too big in the NBA, but uh, the games I do watch, and I guess it makes sense because they're both L.A., but the Dodgers kind of feel like the bougie team of the MLB, right? (laughs) But the Braves, and the way I've always seen the Braves, is more of a scrappy team. So, like, the Dodgers are the Lakers, and the Braves are more like the Trailblazers. Kind of like the scrappy team that don't have the biggest names like the Dodgers do, but they're going to – just scrap out and grind out a win any way they can, which that's how I kind of view it, which it's a, it's a very interesting rhetoric. Um, Cause it's almost like you can see it long-term they're going to collide again, come the end of the year. Right. Oh yeah. Um, it will happen. 100%. Yeah. You just know it's going to happen. And so it's cool to see each team kind of do their thing right now, but keeping in mind the different play styles they each have. And you just have this feeling it's going to come down to them. Yeah, I, I mean, the Padres will be in the mix. We'll see what, who, what team ends up coming out of the NL Central. But, I mean, yeah, those are definitely the two teams that I favor in the National League. Uh, you know what's interesting, though, is the Dodgers are no longer in first place in the NL West. I don't know if you realize that, Gary. No, who is? The San Francisco Giants are 16-9, and nine, and they are shocking everybody. It's a tale right now. They're 10 and 3 at home. They're just a 500 team on the road, but they've been excellent at home and their pitching rotation has been fantastic. They went out and they picked up a few guys that were just kind of like, I mean, Johnny Cueto's been there a while, but they scrapped together the rest of this rotation through free agency. Kevin Gossman has a 2-1-4 ERA. He was on the Braves for a little bit. I'm sure you remember him. Uh, Anthony DiScalfani came over from the Reds. He has a 1.5. Aaron Sanchez, 2.2. Cueto's a 1.8. Alex Wood, another former Brave, he's a 1.5. They have five starters with sub 2-3 ERAs. God. So who do we get in return for these guys? That's what (laughs) I want to know. Gossman was, uh, they designated him for assignment. Oh, Whoa. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. It was, uh, he was struggling. It was a couple years ago. And then, man, Alex Wood got traded. That was a while ago because he was over with the Dodgers and they went over the Reds and they was was back with the Dodgers. He was collecting hats at that point. (laughs) (laughs) But, hey, what do you think about this Giants team? I mean, they might not be on your radar, but. No, they're not. I I need to do a better job of paying attention to the rest of the league. Typically, it's like, Okay, let me see when the Braves are playing. Schedule my day around it or just watch it at work. But I need to do a better job because I knew the Giants were making noise. I didn't realize they were as good as they were, though. Um, yeah. I thought it was still the Dodgers up there. But, yeah, I mean, shoot, man. Um, <laughs> you know, kind of, again, just a team with, in theory, a bunch of no names, and they're scrapping their way through it, right? Um, yep. I'm a fan of that, frankly. I like that. Yeah, and the thing is, I'm not totally buying into the Giants quite yet because I think the thing is, I mean, realistically, you're not going to have five starting pitchers that you went out and picked up on the waivers uh, that contribute 
to this degree the whole season. Yeah. And their 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 lineup doesn't score too many runs. So eventually that's going to catch up with them, but it is making me rethink them a little bit cuz I thought they were going to be bottom of the National League. Uh now they're looking like I mean, they could be around hovering around 500 this year. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of at this point obviously it's not going to continue, but it's kind of like uh, reminds me of the uh, Moneyball Oakland A's almost. Oh, yeah. Right? But, again, they went on to do great things. I'm not sure if the Giants are going to keep up this streak, but <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, shout <laughs> out to <laughs> shout out to Farhan Zaidi, one of the great execs in the sport of baseball. Uh, good job with assembling that team. For as bad as the NL East has been, the NL West has been uh, the division we thought the NL East would be because they have four teams above 500. The Diamondbacks, also another one, uh, 13 and 12. Out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, I can I can name 10 players on – 10, five players on their roster, to be honest <laughs> with you. Like, let's start there. I was just – that's insane, man. Um, you just kind of wonder – I don't, you kind of wonder where all this stuff comes from. You know, you're so sure in a team that's going to do well and a team that's not going to do well, and then they just shock you. seems like it happens every single year. Um, so, yeah, like I, I haven't even, like, given any weight to them. I just, they just kind of popped up. And so are they more – I mean, is their rotation doing well or are they scoring a lot? What, what's their whole thing? What's their deal? Yeah, I think they've just been a, a, a good team so far. They they don't do anything fantastic, but yeah, I think their rotation, their lineup, I mean, they have some they have some really good players. Christian Walker stepped into that Goldschmidt role a couple mm-hmm. years ago and they ended up winning more games with uh Christian Walker than they did this year before with Goldschmidt. Uh but that year, the year before, they were in first place. So back in I'm <laughs> I'm going all over this place. Twenty eighteen they uh, were in first place at the start of September and fell off the rails completely. Um, I think they're just a pretty good scrappy team. Like we're talking about with the giants. I think that's Mm kind of, and Bumgarner Bumgarner with the, with the no hitter. I mean, a lot of people writing him off. He looks, he looks like he's still really dang good. And that's a, with him and Zach Gallon. that's a really good rotation. Yeah. I remember when he came out of the gates there, um, Man, he was he was the guy, and then not that he went, not that he was bad the years after that, but there was this giant expectation of what he was going to do, and I felt like he kind of sunk back a little bit, and I feel like now he's rising back up again to where he used to be. Um, and I don't, sorry, I apologize, how, I can't remember how long ago that was. I want to say <laughs> five or six years ago when he really had his breakout year. But, oh yeah. Um, but you get the feeling, especially at watching a no-no, even though the MLB says it's not a no-no, um, <laughs> he's going to finally get back to where he used to be. Yeah, 100%. And then uh, another thing from the National League East this week, Bryce Harper got hit by a nasty pitch. Did you see that, Garrett? He I can't know. What happened? He took one in the face. Oh. 97-mile-an-hour fastball right in the face. Oh, how long is he out? He might play this weekend. Really? Yeah. So he didn't he didn't break anything? He didn't break anything. Wow. And he it was in it was insane the amount of toughness for that guy. He went down, it was real scary. He gets up, walks off the field, 
and uh, looked like he didn't look concussed or anything. He was bleeding a little bit. I thought maybe he broke his nose. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know what happened there, but I guess God was watching over him. Yeah. Shoot. That's nuts, man. That's a, uh... I know a lot of people don't like the guy, but <laughs> you, you hate seeing that with anybody because it's obviously it's a 97 mile an hour to the face. I mean, a lot of people don't get up from that. No, they don't. And then the next pitch, so that was the first pitch of the inning. I'll give you a little recap into what happened with this Phillies Cardinals game on Wednesday night. So then the next pitch, Didi Gregorius gets hit in the ribs. So two pitches, two hit batsmen, and then the uh they can't the cardinals can't pull him because of the rule that you have to face three guys in order to change pitchers a pitcher has to face three batters before they can be taken out of the game so they're leaving in this guy his name's genesis cabrera and genesis genesis cabrera to his credit he's been a solid pitcher he's young he's inexperienced uh but he clearly didn't have it so mike schilt couldn't pull him from that game he hits two guys, and then the umps at that point warn both dugouts. Joe Girardi comes out. He blows his top because he thinks we should get some type of opportunity to send a message pitch, and we're just going to get tossed anyway. So he just gets tossed there on the spot. Um, what do you think about that general idea of warning both dugouts after the Phillies haven't even thrown inside on the Cardinals? Um, I get it, but I'm actually okay with it. I get why they're frustrated. Um, because it's obvious what's going to take place. You have to, yeah, you got to stop the bleeding as soon as you recognize what's going to happen. And again, like I completely get his point of view on that, but, um, but you know, what's going to follow, right? <laughs> you just know. So you have to do it. Um, what do you think about it? No, I actually, I hear you. I don't, I don't know if, uh, I think the game has been policed well by the players recently because when you and I were growing up, Bryce Harper takes one in the face, Paul Goldschmidt or Nolan Arenado is going to get it in the head. They don't throw at the head anymore. We're past that kind of era of like, we know everything about concussions. We care about player safety. Um, so I think, one of those guys would maybe get a pitch behind them or maybe in the back or in the butt. And I'm okay with that. Um, yeah. So I would have, I would have let it be. Um, but man, it was, uh, yeah, there was no retaliation in that series. So I, I kind of like it when we see these teams really start to not like each other through these things. And, you know, there's a little bit of animosity. I know that the league benefits from that interest on Twitter. Like, they they always like they do this stuff where they don't they set up rules because they don't want guys to get hit. But then the second a guy gets hit, they put it on the MLB Twitter right away because they yeah. know it's it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I miss the days of Boston, New York, man. The like it was like from two thousand to two thousand and five. Those guys yeah. were at it. I miss I miss the days of freaking uh, Pedro throwing down their hitting coach. I mean, it was those were the <laughs> <laughs> Those were the glory days of baseball, man. You had, I mean, you had Jason Baratek staying with that Tim Wakefield stay with the team for a decade plus, you know? And, um, you know, of course, Jeter, of course, Rivera. That, those were the days where I feel like 
it was easier for teams to have animosity against each other because it wasn't such a free market system where they're just sending players left and right, you know? Um, so yeah, like I'm, I'm with you. I actually like the rivalries between teams. Um, but I think a large part of as to why is because, I mean, you know, Freeman's with the Braves in theory he could be with the Cardinals next year. And then he could be with another team year after that. Right. It's just the way baseball is now. Um, you know, thankfully, football hasn't quite gotten to be that way yet. Um, but I just, I mean, those were the days, man. <laughs> you know, Joe Morgan announcing RIP. Uh, oh, were, yeah. Those were the glory days. Yeah, John Miller, he was spectacular. Yeah. He actually does the Giants games on radio now. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I, As you can tell, I watch a lot of baseball. <laughs> I have two yeah. games on at a time every single night and when we finish this up i'll be flipping on to uh whatever the the best games are tonight <laughs> nice nice yeah i can tell you watch a lot <laughs> um okay one more thing on baseball i'll give you a chance on anything that we may have missed and we can get into the bachelor stuff um anthony rizzo struck out freddie freeman that was pretty fun yeah. Did you catch that <laughs> yeah. yeah that was pretty funny <laughs> But hey, it's um I actually love Rizzo. I think Rizzo's awesome. I mean, he's one of those guys I think it's gonna be a career cub. And so you just gotta I think he's so cool, man. He just has such a good attitude. Yeah, no, he's great. I know him and Freddie have been friends for a long time. And they they're similar guys. They're like the rah-rah first baseman, veteran leader, who you could tell both those guys were mature. Um ahead of their years wise ahead of their before their years because they were leading these teams when they were like 25 and now they're hitting the early 30s and yeah they did you see the other clip from uh sunday night baseball with um it was two weeks ago now when rizzo is tracking down freddie in a rundown and he yells frederick yeah yeah freddie you could you could tell by that interaction too they're just like bros yeah freddie (laughs) <laughs> that was funny man so for those who missed it anthony rizzo stepped in to pitch in a blowout game as the uh the braves really wrecked the cubs this week and uh, rizzo stepped in there and he struck freddie out on a curveball and uh yeah fun moment there love so, seeing it man love so garrett it. any other baseball thoughts that you have no um Yes, I, I mean, I'm a big all-star game guy, so I am looking forward to Denver. Um, bomb to sign Atlanta, but at mm, least yeah. I, it's just – I just love the all-star game. I love that break. I love how everyone kind of comes together. So I think it's cool watching stars from different teams interact as well. Um, so really looking forward to that. What was your thought on the all-star game getting rid of the uh, – having the – so you used to have the all-star game. They did it for about uh, 10, 12 years or so where winning league hosts game seven of the world series. They got rid of that. What are your thoughts on that whole, uh, having, having the all-star game mean something yeah, in terms of it. stakes. Hated hate it. it. Hate it. It's like, I mean, you know, I don't watch, I don't watch much NBA, but the NBA all-star game, it's just like a bunch of guys just like laughing and jogging around and stuff. And, I mean, there's no defense anyway in the NBA, but zero defense. <laughs> just like watching a guy walk by you. And I I miss having it mean something. You know, I think it's very, very cool. I think that was a great aspect of it. 
So I hated it when they went away with that. Oh, you hated that they got rid of it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hated that they got rid of it. So I wasn't really loving it or hating it either way, but I had an idea of how we could go back to something like that. You ready for this? I'm going to pitch it to you. What you got? All right. So previously, the winning league would host Game 7 of the World Series, which, you know, in actuality, regular season record determining that when cross leagues, when in the American League, uh, the American League is not as good as the National League this year. Probably isn't going to be the case. So a really good American League team could pile up the wins with easier games. So I, I never had an issue with that game meaning something. Um, my idea was how about we give the winning league. So let's say we'll say the Braves win the National League this year and they're playing. Who do you who do you want them to play in the World Series in this hypothetical? I don't know, man. Um, I don't really care, to be honest. <laughs> I just want them to get there. I mean, geez. All right, let's say White Sox. Um, we'll do a little Chicago, yeah. uh, Atlanta thing here. Okay, so the the National League wins the, wins the All-Star game. So the Braves are given the opportunity. They get to choose which do they want. Do they want Game 7 of the World Series? Or do they want to play the whole World Series with National League rules? That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's a good idea. You like it? Yeah, that is a good idea. I've never even thought about that before. That's a really good idea. So I think that would be, then you have some level of interest going down to the wire, and it's like, what are they going to do? Well, the Braves probably don't care if there's a designated hitter because then they can put Marcelo Zuna at the DH spot. So they're probably going to take it, but there there are other teams that probably don't have as deep of a bench, and they'd prefer to make a uh, poor fielding DH have to get in the field on the other side. Yeah, that's true. That's a good idea, man. Thank you. <laughs> Submit a uh, proposal to the MLB. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they listen. They they got some weird ideas going on. I don't know who's pitching that stuff to them these days. <laughs> No telling, man. No telling. <laughs> All right, Garrett. So you went on The Bachelorette. And I, I, I figured we'd save The Bachelor stuff for later on in this show because I don't know how many of uh, the sports fans are Bachelor fans. But we could learn a little bit here from what it's like going on reality TV, going on The Bachelorette. So how did you end up on, on The Bachelorette? Were you interested? Did you watch reality TV? Like, how did you end up in that? No and no. Um, <laughs> so I actually was dating that girl from Atlanta we talked about earlier. And yeah. uh, we were on a one-year um, kind of anniversary trip, and I got dumped. And um, so it was in Destin, Florida. I had a golf tournament on the following Monday in Pensacola, Florida. So the plan was to stay down there all week. She would go home. I'd go over to my golf tournament and play. I just got dumped. Still don't know to this day why. doesn't really matter anymore but um so that was august of 2018 and so two days after my sister-in-law so my twin brother's wife um texted me he's like hey just let you know um i uh submitted and made your profile on abc's website for the bachelorette and i was like ah okay <laughs> whatever and so um fast forward to october of that year um, I got a call from an LA number and a, uh, email 
and basically just like, hey, are you interested? Like, I'm so-and-so, I'm a recruiter for the show. Um, would love to have you. Think you'd be great. Are you interested? And I'm thinking like, this freaking chick. Why? Why are y'all calling me? Like, I don't. I don't care. And so, like, I only saw like three or four episodes in the past. They're all with like girlfriends, like while they wanted to watch it and stuff like that. And so, the whole interview process is very in depth. There's a lot of stuff you have to do. A lot of phone calls, a lot of like videos you have to make, photos you have to submit, um, in-person interviews. They fly out to LA for this massive interview section, which is crazy. Um, but the whole time there, I just remember thinking, why the hell would they choose me? So <laughs> I think it actually worked in my favor though, because I stayed calm. And typically I'm a very sarcastic individual. Um, and so I was just sarcastic with him the whole time because I'm just thinking, there's no way they're going to choose me. I promise, <laughs> I promise Jesslyn I at least try. So let's just try whatever. And six days, March 6th, uh, six days before I had to leave to go, six days before they started filming, they chose me. I got a phone call. Um, so the way it worked, I was working at a private club at the time. I was keeping my boss informed and he was actually the guy that told me, he was like, you have to go do this. And I was like, well, what about work? Like, I could be gone for like, like 60 days. And he was like, we'll be fine. And I'm like, okay, cool. So got the phone call, um, left for the show and left to go start filming. Yeah. So it was, it was I, again, so got the original call. She, my sister-in-law submitted my name in August, got the original call in October, found out in early March of 2019 that I had been selected. Wow, that is quite the story. I mean, I have to think that probably is pretty common for you guys to not really watch the show and then end up on the show. Uh, but do you think that the guys who had seen it a little more and kind of were going in for maybe maybe having a better idea of what it is and that, like how to manipulate, like basically how to make the best TV because they've watched a lot of reality TV. They know how to give confessionals. You think those guys have some type of an advantage just in terms of dealing with the whole reality TV experience, being on the show, getting screen time, dealing with fans, all that type stuff. I think they have an advantage as far as after the show. I don't think during filming, I think they're at, those guys are actually more in their head about it. Um, there are a couple guys on my season. There's one guy in particular named Matt Donald, very nice guy who had grown up such a fan of the show. And so night one, he put so much pressure on himself because he was such a fan. My mentality was like, I don't know what the heck's going on. I'm probably going to get sent home, whatever. And so I, it was easy for me to like calm down. But those guys who had like a, um, I guess an agenda to be on the show, I felt like put pressure on themselves, but in turn, they definitely knew what was coming after. I had no idea. Um, no idea just how many people watch the show, how big of a deal it is to some people. And I was just like overrun after I got back. It was nuts. Man. All right. Well, we'll we'll get more into that. But uh, yeah, in terms of the experience, I'm curious. So did you, it sounds like you were just kind of like going with the flow. You're just like, ah, whatever. The people are kind of forcing me on. I'll just go do it. And why not? It's an experience, you know, just an opportunity that kind of knocked on my door and you just do it. So were you expecting, like, did you have any idea who the bachelorette was going to be? Were you thinking like, am I actually going to like this girl? Like what, you know, what was that like? 
So you don't know. Um, so anyone who says they went on the show for a certain woman is lying because <laughs> you don't know. Yeah. Um, so when I got there, uh, I got there on March 12th. Limo night was not until March 16th. I found out Hannah was the bachelorette the night of March 13th. So right before limo day. Um, but yeah, um, I mean, again, my mindset, the whole mindset, I was very chill about it. Um, was just like, well, it's funny when I got the invite to go on like the final interview weekend, that was when I was like, okay, this might be an actual thing. I was scared. I didn't want to go. I like, I didn't want to go on the show, but I didn't want to chicken out. So I like went on dates to try to find a girlfriend here because if I found a girlfriend, it wouldn't technically be chickening out. Um, but obviously it ended up not working out, but yeah, my, my mindset, if you had a girlfriend, you may have ended up with the bachelorette, right? Jeez. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. No, but, um, yeah, I was just chill the whole time and, but just along for the ride, it just figured, Hey, you know, if I was 50 looking back on my life, would I regret not doing this? And I was like, yeah, probably would. Um, but it's funny how like I start out chill and I start out just in a good mood and then you kind of get wrapped up. It's like Stockholm syndrome. You get wrapped up in it. Like I had the thought I had legit feelings for her, um, towards the end of the show because, you know, you're not hanging out with any other woman, you're hanging out with a bunch of dudes all the time. You know, you're only talking about this woman. Uh, you're only talking about your feelings for this woman. And it's just it's Stockholm syndrome. So towards the end, I actually had feelings for her. So yeah, I was very, very chill, no expectations. And towards the end, I was like, wait, well, what if we are meant to like date? And then did you, when you came out of that, so you finished uh, fifth place, right? Mm -hmm. So you made it real far. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely did. You were definitely uh bachelorette must've liked you quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so when you came out of that, was it similar to ending other relationships? Was it easier to move on? Was it harder because you felt like you needed a little more closure? What was that like? It was easier to move on from the relationship, harder to move on from the experience. Um, because I remember, um, she sent me home in the Netherlands and I was sitting in a course, the way TV works. There's this guy named Luke Parker, who was yeah. on the show with me, who uh, she actually chose him over her. So every show, every individual serves a certain purpose. So I now, looking back on it, see that I was basically the martyr. I died for a good cause, right? <laughs> so, she, uh, <laughs> so she chose this guy who was perceived as like the jerk, who I always tended to call out because that's my personality. Um and I remember thinking, having, I was confused, um, but I had such a sense of relief because I was like, I was, I've been in this uncomfortable environment for over 40 days. I just want to go home and be a golf pro. And so I, the first week or so, I was pretty beat up about it. Afterwards, I was beat up, not because of Hannah at all, because for 40 plus days, I had only gotten about three and a half hours of sleep because that's what they do. Oh they yeah. They sleep deprive you a little bit. And plus you throw on, um, you know, you throw kind of like the mental games you're playing with yourself on top of it. Then you throw the travel and the time zones. So like, you know, for example, we have been waking up at four all week, or excuse me, eight all week in the Netherlands, go to sleep at like four, four thirty, 
And so like the night I got sent home, I got sent home at four 30 in the morning. I didn't actually make it to my new hotel until five 30 in the morning. They had to wake me up at eight in the morning to take an Uber to Amsterdam to fly home at 11 flew a nine hour flight over seven hours worth of time zones to Chicago then flew back down to Birmingham. And so it just, that lack of sleep on top of everything messes you up. And so that's really what got to me um, in the long run. That's super interesting. I had never heard that before. And I watch a good amount of reality TV and I've seen The Bachelor in the past and I've had a number of Survivor contestants on here and they always talk about the sleep deprivation because they're on an island for 39 days and they don't have any food. They don't have like a a bed to sleep in. I had no idea that that was something that was going on in terms of the bachelor franchise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then just like the mind games where, um, you know, producers will try to, they'll, they'll purposely get your trust and then they'll try to convince you to do certain things. Um, which they got me once early in the show. And then I realized from then on, like, Hey, I'm not trusting y'all. Um, but also, the mind games of the comparison game you play with other guys. So like Tyler Cameron, who was a big character on my season, obviously a very fit dude. He's a male model, you know, six, four. Um, he's, he's, he's a very handsome guy. So Jed White, another guy on my season, very talented guitar player, you know? So like, I remember towards the end, I was sitting around, you know, a talented mu- musician, a male model, a pilot, um, you know, a financial advisor that was very successful. And then you look at yourself and I'm just like, I'm just a golf pro. So why am I doing, what am I doing here? But, you know, it's a constant battle of thinking, okay, not worrying about anybody else, anything that you can't control, but then understanding that, okay, you are here because you serve some purpose, whether it's for reality TV or whether it's because this woman actually likes you, you don't know, but you serve a purpose. So that's all you got to focus on. So that on top of everything too, just really wears you down. That's really interesting. So with the lack of sleep and you mentioned a little bit of what the producers do, you feel like they, you feel like it's easy for them to manipulate people on there. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we're all in such an uncomfortable environment. So we're all trying to grasp onto something that, that's comfort comfortable. So keep in mind, if eight guys are going out on a date with this girl, well, the other 20, if there's 28 left are sitting in the mansion with producers, what are producers doing? Being friendly, like just chilling with us. So they get us, it creates a sense of comfort. And so in situations during dates, they'll be like, Hey, I really think you should ask Hannah this question. And, like one time that happened and I was like, nah, man, that's a bad look. I don't want to do it. Um, well, I had like six other producers that day that I was friends with come up and be like, Hey, so you should probably ask Hannah this question. And then I did it and it backfired, but that's what they, that was part of their plan. Right. So yeah, you just, you're, you're grasping for something that's comfortable. So then I have to think that with you being someone that, was, all right, you know what? No, I'm not going to do what you're telling me to do. Then they're going to say, okay, well, we don't want you to be the bachelor when we need a bachelor. Like, or do they use that? Like the people that they take for these types of like a bachelor bachelorette type of role, are they people that 
go along with production more easily than others. Yeah. Yeah, they're people that, and they uh, look at people who they can make storylines about. So, like, you go back to Colton's season. The storyline was he's a virgin, right? The whole <clears throat> It's like the whole season was about him being a virgin. Hannah's season, you go back and you look at the storyline, and it's a the storyline was about, okay, here's a strong woman. And if you go back and rewatch it, yeah, Hannah's definitely strong. There's nothing wrong with that. But it was a rhetoric of, oh, well, she she has the power. Hannah Beast, you know, she she's controlling these guys and stuff like that. And so it's really about who plays towards that narrative. And so looking back on it, I look back on my experience and, you know, I, know, I don't know what Hannah ever felt for me. If anything, I'll never know that. But I can't help but think that I was part of a narrative that they saw continuing. And, you know, me and Luke are actually fine now, but I've got Luke to thank probably for me lasting so long because my personality is if I think you're full of crap, I'm going to tell you you're full of crap. And so I did that a lot with that guy. <laughs> um, so it was kind of something that production saw and they said, oh, we can get views out of this. So let's keep this Southern hick on the show a little bit longer. Right. So it, it's that's why I think about it, you know. Yeah, so I again, I did a little research. I asked some people, what do you guys want to know from Garrett? And there were a lot of questions about Luke P, this Luke P figure. And I saw a little bit of the clips on the show. Um, you guys were butting heads, as you mentioned. Was he, as you mentioned, he was perceived as the jerk. Um, was he, like, how, I guess my question is, how different or similar was what we saw on the show of how he was behaving on the show accurate to the true story. Accurate. hundred percent, hundred percent. And I think, you know, obviously me and him have buried the hatchet, but I think on the show, you know, Luke is actually a relatively young guy. You know, I'm 29, he's 24, 25, something like that. But um, I just think he kind of fell into producers laps way too often and he trusted them way too much and didn't really self-assess and kind of see the big picture of what was going on. There was a lot of us, like Mike was one, I was one, Jeb was one. Producer would ask us to do something. We're like, no, bump that. We're not doing that. That's going to get us in so much trouble. Like we know what you're trying to do, but Luke would just kind of listen to what they had to say and he, they could easily convince him. And so all the actions you saw, and again, we didn't know this at the time. We just thought he was being a jerk, but, um, all the actions you saw, especially the negative actions that he did, I guarantee you he had a producer in his ear suggesting that he should do something. Um, he just didn't see the big picture of, hey, this is a reality TV show. You know, if we find a villain, then people are going to continue watching to see the villain's downfall. Right. And I think that was part of it. Yeah, his story was very interesting to me because I remember when that was going on at the time and hearing about the mentel all and he got called out and it sounded like he was really going through a rough time from what happened on the show. Um, and my perception of it was I felt I read a little bit and his story sounded a little similar to yours that he wasn't seeking out trying to be on TV. He just kind of he had no experience with reality TV. And I thought, man, that seems like a guy who is probably easily to mess with, easy to mess with. And then um, they really were playing up his faith for that matter, too. I have to think they probably used that to uh, to mess with him as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, 
So very exactly to my point. So towards the end where um, um, when Hannah, I don't know if you've seen the clip, but when Hannah calls out Luke for saying Luke, Luke said, Hey, yeah. they're in the fantasy suite stage. And Luke was like, Hey, like, just let you know, if you slept with anybody else and I'm gone. Well, I don't disagree with that. If I'm about to, if I'm seriously thinking about marrying somebody, I'm not going to say, Oh yeah, you will. You bang Peter four times a night before. Yeah. Let's get married tomorrow. Like right. I'm, I'm with him on that, but the way he phrased it and the way he kind of went back on his word, you could tell was pretty production driven. And again, that was all part of the plan because that's something I would have told Hannah in confidence. I would have never said that on TV, but I guarantee a producer was like, you're really going to marry this girl. I think she slept with someone last night, right? I mean, it's just, it's not going to bode well, right? But you saw how they took that and how Hannah like got mad at him and it came across as, oh, this powerful woman is putting her foot down. And yeah, maybe she was, but like, I don't necessarily disagree with the guy for saying that, you know? But that's just how it gets twisted in the reality TV world, right? You know, they, they made him look like this judgmental Christian and they made Hannah who's also an outspoken Christian, you know, just kind of come across as this powerful, I'm not going to take any crap from you. When in reality, it's, he wasn't really giving her crap. It's just, if, if all that makes sense, it's just, you could tell it's very producer driven, you know, based off the narrative. Yeah, no, that's definitely what I was, I, I had that thought too. I was like, why would in any other circumstance, if you were to get married to someone, you found out that they slept with someone else. And you're not supposed to be upset about that to some regard. Yeah. Like that's that's where like the Bachelorette as a franchise just sort of loses me. Yeah, yeah. And it's just I mean, makes perfect sense, right? You know, <laughs> I mean, you go have let's just say you know, let's just say like my future wife goes on her Bachelorette party and bad stuff happens. Of course, you're going to be upset. So why would you not be in that circumstance? It's not. It's and the, the way they spun it was. Oh, well, he's trying to control her. He's trying to tell her what to do. And so that's not what happened at all. He's just expressing to her that if this certain situation happened, then he's out. Now, Luke's problem with it is the way he went about saying that and the way he kind of backtracked after she said she did sleep with somebody else made good TV, which is what producers want, right? But as far as Luke, the guy, he's actually a really good guy. He's just a guy that was in a, like the rest of us, a very uncomfortable situation. And, you know, the anger I had towards him was so real in that moment. It was it was real all those moments. However, looking back on it, we can see how both he and I and others got played by the situation. Yeah. So it came to my attention that uh, you guys are friends now. That was something that as I was yeah. doing a little research here. So how did you guys end up becoming buds? Yeah. So I was I was having I was going through a really bad depression um, last fall with Instagram and everything and just the political climate and, you know, with me being a kind of more outspoken conservative and, you know, Instagram tends to be a little more left leaning network. Um, I was catching a lot of heat and I didn't know how to deal with it. Um, I just had no idea. And so coming out of that moment, he actually reached out to me and he was like, Hey man, like just letting you know, like if you need to talk, I'm here. And I really appreciated that because a lot of people on that season, just ditched me. A ton of people did. Um, so I really appreciated that. And 
we kept in touch and I, I guess this was late February. Um, he was actually in town speaking at a church and he hit me up. He's like, Hey, just let you know, I'll be here. Like, can you make it? I know the short notice. I was like, yeah, I'm there. And so went there and we actually posted a picture when we were there. Um, but yeah, we've been back and forth ever since then. Like I said, he's a good dude. It's just, we just, we both got wrapped up in circumstances and we were both very uncomfortable. That's really cool to hear. So you had mentioned, and I saw you on the uh, Prager U roundtable that you did mm-hmm. recently, and we won't get into the politics of it on here. Uh, I know that people don't like sports and politics, or mm-hmm. politics and sports, I should say. So I, I stay clear of all that. But um, you had mentioned that your experience with the show was not a very positive one coming out of coming out of it. And you mentioned just now a little bit of the Instagram stuff. So um, what, I mean, how did your life change, uh, for the better and for the worse, I guess I'd like to know. Yeah. So for the better, I'm definitely very, very thankful for the show and everything it's given me. It's given me a lot. Um, you know, it's given me essentially another source of income. Instagram is basically a job now too, which is nice. Um, you know, it's, I get to the way I view my social media is that I get to touch people and I'm trying to do the very best I can to be positive, um, to be a good influence on people's lives. I'm very thankful for that as well. Um, how you do a good job at that. I've been following along for a little bit recently and you know, the Instagram stories are very positive. You're helping people, you're giving tips on what's worked best for you and how other people can make the best version of themselves. So, I, I enjoy seeing your posts. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate that. Um, I like, I guess, kind of transitioning from good to weird to down. Um, the weird part for me, and still kind of a weird part, is that, like, when I got off the show, I didn't know what was going to happen. But, like, the first time I went to Target, middle of the day, it was a two-and-a-half-hour Target trip. Because people, there was literally, like, a line in Target to get pictures. Wow. And in my mind, it's like, in my mind, I'm thankful for it. Don't get me wrong, but I don't understand why people want it because I'm not good at anything. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a golf pro, but I'm not known for being a golf pro. Yeah. I'm not like LeBron where I'm good at basketball. And that's why people want a picture with me. I just got <laughs> dumped on your TV screen. Like That's the only thing. So it's always, and I've gotten a little more used to it now, but early on, that was a tough transition. Like, if I had to go to like the grocery store or the gym or something, you had to plan my day around that to go either right when they opened or right before they closed. Um, and so I'm a, I'm an outgoing introvert, but I am an introvert. And so it was tough kind of opening up to people who were fans, which still sounds weird to me. <laughs> um, but it was very tough opening up and making sure they were comfortable too. Cause I imagine coming up to someone that you, admire you're probably nervous well what they didn't realize is i was just as nervous as them (laughs) so i didn't know what to do so that took a while but then the downside of you know social media you get you know especially um you know no matter what you do you have people who are just looking to try to ruin your day and it's so it's always for the same reasons always because they want to make themselves feel better and i sympathize with that But there are times where, you know, I can be like a Coke bottle where you shake me up enough, the top's going to blow off. And it's been 
you know, and I've said things to people in the past that have gotten me in a lot of trouble and rightfully so, because there were bad things. I was just like really mad and really in a bad attitude. But then it's also taught me, I'm thankful for all of that because it's taught me how to deal with criticism. And, you know, it led me to therapy and it led me to understand that, you know, when people are either really mad at you, deep down, all it is, is that they are scared or they're just missing something in themselves, right? So when you look at anger coming from an individual and you you basically... You basically tell yourself, okay, this this anger or this rage is coming from someone who's in pain. It helps you not to get angry back at them. And I think that has been the biggest blessing when you wrap this show up and everything I've learned from it. That's been the biggest thing I've learned. And I'm, uh, yeah, it's, part of it's been tough, but it's also been great. And it's also helped me grow overall. That's really cool to hear. And I know you had put out an Instagram post uh, Sometime within the last year or so, and you had opened up about having some depression from the show, but also how, and you also mentioned this in your PragerU video, how your relationship with God really brought you out of that. I'd love to hear that story. Yeah, so I've always been a Christian. Um, I've always been a believer, just haven't really been a follower. Um and it got to where that point, you know, the highest of highs was coming off that show and everyone's like, everyone, you know, people want to be your friend. People want to be around you. People like in, in, enjoy it. People want to know like where you're at. So like all the time, never experienced that before. And it's kind of like what I've said on other podcasts. Um, fame is kind of like a drug. So there's always, even though like I chose not to do paradise because I just wanted to be a golf pro, but ever since you get a little taste of fame, there's always a part of you that wants that taste again. And you are always fighting a battle. And so, you know, Instagram, you kind of experience that a little bit, right? Um, Well, I noticed that the further I got in my head about, you know, what my followers want or what the public wants, the further away I got from God, um, and I just hit that point last year, you know, and, and again, the political climate had a lot to do with it just because of my views and, you know, the bachelor world again is not really aligned with the views that I have personally. And that's okay. But right. I just call a lot of heat for it. Um, and so like, you know, I've always been kind of that kind of right word leaning. And so people for the first time in my life really hit me with, oh, well, you're a bad person because you believe in this, this, and this. And it made me kind of question myself. It made me think that I was a really bad person. And so I went through a period where I was like drinking every night, trying to numb the pain and stuff like that. And I essentially got all the way down to the bottom of the barrel to where there was nothing else to turn to but God, right? And so the night it happened, you know, I got, I'd been drinking. I said something really stupid to this girl in the comments who had been lighting me up for weeks about how I was like, you know, just a bad person for being a conservative. And the next, that night, the next day I was like, I need to call my pastor. So I called him, touched base with him, you know, sought out therapy. And it was the best thing that could have happened to me because now it's, you know, when you're, when you're living life just for yourself, you're kind of just wandering. Right. You're kind of wandering and searching for every high that's out there because it's self-driven. When you now realize that there's something bigger than yourself, 
you're not wandering anymore, right? Because now you have a purpose, you have a goal, you have a reason to live. So that's why, like, that's why my perspective really this year shifted again, because it's like, okay, like, you know, I know my reason for living. I know who made me. So let's try to make sure that my life is more representative of that and see how many people I can steer in that direction too. Um, so yeah, that's, that's really where it came from. And, you know, the pastor, Stephen Bunn, he's with college golf, college golf fellowship organization that helps college golfers. Uh, if you're in the golf world, I highly look at, recommend you looking into it. Um, really helped me through that dark time, man. And, um, yeah, just thankful for it. It's, it's been, and it's funny too. It's just, you know, the more you kind of put your faith in what's unseen, God, um, the more your life just gets better. Things just start kind of falling into place. That's incredible. That's such an awesome story. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I mean, that's, it's not easy thing to talk about with mental health and depression, but um, I've experienced a little bit of my own in my own past. And similar to you, uh, my relationship with Christ is what gave me direction, gave my life purpose, gave it, gave it hope. And that's the thing. I think it's so hard for people that are right now, you know, it's a, it's a rough time, you know, things are not open and we're dealing with COVID and, you know, things are not perfect in this world right now. Um, they never will be. And if you don't have that, I don't really know how you fill that bottle. You have this bottle. And it's like, I believe that Christ belongs in that bottle. We were all were created to know him. And if you don't have, like, we're all trying to fill up that bottle with other things. And I just, it's like, it's like, um, it's like a lamp. It's like the light that we need to get out of the dark. And if you're putting other stuff in there, I just don't know how you can get out of the dark. Yeah. And the, the moment it really all kind of hit me, um, was when I was talking to Steven, the pastor, and, um, I told him everything that I've been going on the past few months, like all the struggles I had. And he, his response was actually, he was like, um, come all who are weary and I will give you rest. And I was like, that's it. I have not rested at all. Never have. I've been so stressed out about like what other people think that I made other people's opinions. My God. Right. When in reality, if you, you know, today I look back at that time, I was so uncertain who I was. Now it's like when your faith's in God, you know who you are, you know, who backs you. Right. So you don't really need these validating opinions. Right. You just do what's best for you as a representative of what you believe in. Right. And I just remember feeling so much relief. Like, oh, I don't have to stress about this stuff anymore. Like, I can just let it go. And it's been so great because now it's like beforehand, I remember like, I'm a big gym goer and I used to hate taking days off. I used to hate, it's always like, go, 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 go. Now, you know, it's mandatory that I have one Sabbath day and it's done wonders for it because it's just, you know, you rest. And that's when it really, really hit me um, overall was just, you feel like you're constantly going, but then you hear that verse and you think about what it means. And it's just like, I can just let everything else go. Right. And it's so great. You know, the, the dark thoughts, the depression, people's opinions, just let it go. It doesn't matter. Right. 
And that's what really kind of turned me around. So Stephen Bunn, if you ever see this, thank you. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I hope I hope uh, you should definitely send this over to him. I'm sure you appreciate listening to that. Yeah, and uh, was uh, was Luke helpful in that regard, too? Yeah, he was. He was because, um, again, he reached out via DM and we just had went through a discussion and he's always been a man of faith as so long as I've known him. And, you know, um, and I can relate because, you know, we both are people who walked a very sinful path to get to where we were. Right. Um, so I get it. I'm, I'm with him on that. And he he was he was just again, he was just that extra person who was like, hey, dude, I get it. I'm here. Just let me know. Right. So it was nice to have that camaraderie for sure. And you mentioned something else uh, about people from your cast sort of ditching you, dropping you. Uh, Were they dunking on you publicly? Were they and was it similar to what they did to Luke? Uh, A little bit. Yeah. Yeah, they they did a little bit. Um, And some of it was because. um. You know, so it wasn't really because of any of that for the most part. It was mainly, it was because of that. Um, but like, so for example, I came out about my political views, not because I'm trying to get people to swap sides. You right. Know, believe in whatever you want to believe and do your own research. That's what I think you need to do anyway. I came out about my political views because I believe, especially from a social media standpoint, there are a lot of people on my side of the aisle who are afraid to. And my whole point with coming out is you shouldn't be afraid to, you know, this is just a belief that you have. You're not bad, no matter if you're liberal or conservative, right? It's what you believe. It should be okay to speak out on it. But um, a lot of the guys from the season that I was on are people who rely on social media for their career. They don't have another job. So it is a bad look for them to associate themselves with someone who is labeled as problematic because they're a conservative or something like that. Right. And so a lot of people will take that and just say, okay, see ya. And, um, yeah, I'm not going to say who it is, but right. yeah. And you probably do some research and figure it out, but it's, um, no, but it, it's a sad and I get it from their point of view. I get it. Cause there is their career. Um, but I also wish they would have, kind of hung in there because these were guys that I did have good relationships with. They were very good people. Um, it's just a shame to see that now some people are different and I can't speak too harshly because I became different with social media. Right. Um, but yeah, it definitely happened for the most part. Yeah. And there's still time for them to realize that that's not something that they should do. I mean, there's still, I mean, it, it, you have only, you were on the show not too long ago. This stuff happened to you recently you recently reconnected with Luke. Like there's life's long. So hopefully some of these guys that you had these genuine bonds with realize that life's too short to get hung up on, on this other stuff. Yeah, no, you're right. And we'll see. Um, but I am thankful for the guys who have hung in there. Uh, surely Luke, but also Jed, very good friends with Jed. actually going to see him this weekend. Um, but yeah, those guys in Dustin in Chicago, Pete, you know, um, that's a prime example. Pete and Dustin are both guys who politically don't see the same as I do, but we joke about it, you know? Um, <laughs> right. But Dustin was someone that I relied, I leaned heavy on too. Um, so to your point, yeah, it's a shame that some people did do it, but I'm still so very thankful for the people who were there 
during my tough times. Well, I feel bad for the joke I made about Jed now. I'm sorry, Jed. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, he's hurt a lot worse. So he's uh, <laughs> he's okay. He's okay. But he's a good he, dude. He's a great dude, man. He really is. Um, the, talk about a personality that the show just really screwed. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. How so? Um, well, we were in Scotland. It was me, Dylan, and Jed. We were staying in this room. And um, Jed all of a sudden was like, yo, I'm worried about this girl. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he was like, well, there's this girl I was like hookup buddies with before the show, but she's like a friend, you know, she, you know, we just both got our relationships and we're kind of just frankly using each other, but we were, it was in a, we both had a mutual agreement about it. And I'm just worried that producers know about it. And, you know, I think Dylan said something like, there's no way they're going to find out about it. Well, sure enough, they found out about it because this girl came out and said she was Jed's girlfriend which was not the case and the show just ran with it. And, um, yeah. that guy, I remember shoot, man. I remember, um, it was after our men tell all, but before he had to fly out there for after the final rose. And I went over to his place and it was like 10 AM and he was just not in a good spot at all. Um, cause he actually really had feelings for Hannah, like big time. And was like really pumped to spend his life with her. And Hannah actually like made phone calls to Jed while production was recording the phone calls. Oh, and gosh. Hannah didn't tell Jed that. And Jed found out and he was just crushed. Oh. Um, and then at that same time, the whole world was coming down on Jed for something that production team made up. Um, so he he's great now. He's dating an awesome girl named Ellen. Um, they're doing great in Nashville. But I think, you know, I think if you were to ask Jed this, um, he he needed this, the bad to happen in order for the great that he has now to take place. So, um, but yeah, that was a rough time for him for a while. Man, that's really interesting. I didn't know that. You learn something new every day. Yeah. Yeah. Don't so. believe you see on, on uh, don't believe everything you see on ABC. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> well, you know, something that's interesting. Are you familiar with the challenge on MTV? I used to watch that back in the day. I, don't, I, I haven't seen it recently. But, okay. So you know Johnny Bananas then? Yeah. Yeah. I do know him. Yeah. <laughs> he always says, and I thought this was really interesting, and I'm curious if you felt you or any of these guys who went on the show felt this way. He said what he loves about being someone that goes on reality TV is you're able to watch yourself and say, you know what? I don't like that about myself. I want to work on that. I want to fix that. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to that. That's a good quote. Um, cause people ask me, or they don't anymore cause I'm obsolete, which is fine with me, but he <laughs> <laughs> used to ask me after the show, um, like, is that really, or they wouldn't ask me, they would ask like my friends, is that really Garrett? And they'd be like, yeah, that's really Garrett. And I agree with them. Like you saw a lot of the good, but you also saw some of the bad, right? Like, I can be rattled in certain situations like I was with Luke. Now, towards the end, the baloney scene was pretty funny. I <laughs> handled myself pretty well there. But the fact is, like, my focus should have been on Hannah, but it became about somebody else. Now, production did assist with that, sure. But that is something that happens with me, right? So I can relate to that comment completely. 
All right. I guess my last thing uh, that everyone wanted to know, what do you think the number one question I got from females was? Was the baloney scene real or are you dating somebody? <laughs> it was number two. It says, can you find out if... Okay, so I got, <laughs> I got comments and messages from people that I don't even know if they listen to the show. They might just be fans of yours. <laughs> and they said... They said, can you find out if he's single and if he's accepting DMs? <laughs> I am single and I do read DMs from time to time. So try your luck. <laughs> yeah. New, newly single. So still, still trying to get to, used to single life. But it's okay. actually kind of okay. nice. Yeah. All right, ladies, shoot your shot. I mean, you got, you got a nice following. I know there are some attractive women that i follow that follow you uh I, I think you're set up well we'll see man we'll see it's, um, <laughs> i don't know i don't know they just got to be in it for the right reasons that's right that's that's tough to identify sometimes but <laughs> thankfully like i said i'm becoming a little obsolete people are forgetting about me so you know they um they're becoming truer and truer hopefully all right. Well, you know what, Garrett? This was an awesome podcast. I, I hope it wasn't the longest one that you've done, but if it was, then, I mean, hey, we, we own that title, so that's pretty cool if it was. Uh, but you hung in here for almost two hours. Uh, great conversation. Uh, what would you like to have people check out that you're working on? How can they get in touch with you, follow along? Um, you got anything you'd like to plug here? Yes, check out um, Instagram page rgarrettp and uh, my golf Instagram page, Greater Performance Golf. Um, also, have a few projects. Um, Ooh. I'm a big believer in not speaking on your goals before you accomplish them. So just okay. stay tuned and wait on those projects. You'll see it on uh, the gram here pretty soon. All right, good stuff. Well, that's a good uh, good opportunity for you to come back, and when those things are on the horizon, we can uh, we can let everyone know about it. That's right. Back on the Jack that's Vita right. show. Hey, as long as you'll have me, I'll be coming back. <laughs> oh, oh, good stuff. All right. Well, um, Garrett, this is a lot of fun, and hopefully, we'll touch base. Uh, maybe U.S. one of these one of these majors this summer, if not college football season. Awesome, man. Let's do it. All right, y'all, that does it for my conversation with Garrett Powell from The Bachelorette, Hannah Brown season. Great time having him here on the show. Really appreciate his transparency. He's a really good dude. I mean, you can see it through this episode. As I mentioned, we don't get into politics on the Jack Vita show or on my website, jackvita.com, but I 100% back Garrett in saying that your character isn't defined by your political ideology. And that's one of the things that I absolutely hate that's going on right now. Conservatives demonize liberals, liberals demonize conservatives. They make it feel like there's a moral right side and the other side is in the wrong. Folks, your character isn't defined by who you vote for. And the sad thing is, I mean, Garrett alluded to it, his character was uh, killed by a lot of people who didn't agree with him. And again, this happens on both sides of the aisle. This happens a lot. 
And Garrett was just trying to say, like, guys, you know what? We may have our differences, but it's okay. It's okay for us to have differences. It's a good thing for us to have friends with people that don't see things the same as we do. And I think that's such an awesome message. I think that's really great. And I applaud him for being bold on that message and trying to communicate his message uh, peacefully and kindly. And you know what? He he admitted, you know what? There are things that I've done that are wrong. And, you know, he, he alluded to something that he did that he feels was wrong. And I think that's one of the things. Like, just because someone went on a reality show doesn't mean that we know that person. We don't know who they are. We don't know what their character is like. And they're a human being just like you or me or anyone that's listening to this show. We all have flaws. We're all imperfect people and we're always trying to get better. And so for me and for Garrett, the best way for us to improve is to follow Jesus and to just follow the word, follow the Bible and what it says and the plan that God has called for us to live. And uh, hey, if anyone's interested in talking about that topic, you can hit me up on social media at Jack Vita Show. Uh, my email is jack at jackvita.com. You can check out my website, jackvita.com. I'm at Jack Vita Show on Twitter. Instagram and Facebook. Just send me a message. I'd love to talk about this stuff. Uh, and it's amazing to hear about how God has worked in Garrett's life and brought him out of the darkness, brought him into the light. Really cool to hear about how Luke Parker played a role in that too. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Jack Vita show. Hopefully, I mean, that was, I mean, that, <laughs> that was so much. We got into so much with baseball, the draft, college football, there was so much into this episode. Reality TV, Faith, The Bachelor. It's just, I learned a lot in this episode. And uh, I, guys, if you're just finding this podcast for the first time and you're a fan of Garrett's, I've had Survivor contestants on. I had Jay Starrett, who was on The Challenge. He was on my show a couple of months ago. Johnny Fairplay from Survivor. You guys can check out those episodes, and I intend to have more guests like Garrett in the future. I don't know uh, who from the Bachelor franchise we will have next, but I uh, really uh, applaud him and appreciate him for being the first Bachelor Nation member to come on this show. Uh, really, again, awesome guy. Super great guy. Could not say enough good things about Garrett from my two our interaction with him. Just a great guy, and I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the show. All right, I'm going to be, as I mentioned, I'm going to be off for a little bit. So I'm going down to Fort Worth, Texas to help my sister. She's graduating from college. I want to give a shout out to her. Shout out to my sister, Laura Vita, who's been on this show a few times. Uh, really an incredible sister. Uh, a great woman of faith and uh, really just so proud of her. She is graduating from Texas Christian University in about a week. So I'm going to be going down to Texas later this week and staying down there for a few days, helping her, well, watching her graduate. I had nothing to do with that, with the graduation, and then helping her move back home. So we got a full uh, road trip all the way from Fort Worth to Chicago, 
So uh, I'm going to be off the grid in terms of podcasts and probably writing for that matter too. Um, it's probably going to be a, uh, this next week. You're probably not going to have any new content from me. So the next time I'll be back, I'll be returning to Chicago by May 4th. So that week, May 4th through the 7th, new episode coming out then. Don't know precisely what it will be, but I'm sure we'll be talking sports. I'm sure we'll be talking some baseball and uh, we'll be getting gearing up for the Stanley Cup playoffs in that time of year. So guys, make sure you subscribe to the Jack Vita show so you don't miss out on any of the great content that we have coming up. The future reality stars, guests, former athletes, um, writers, podcasters, lots of really great guests coming up on this show. Um, so subscribe, go to my website, jackvita.com, get on my newsletter, click on one of my posts, and then fill out a contact card, and then you'll be emailed whenever I have new content available for you, the listeners and readers of jackvita.com. All right, guys, that was a mouthful. And uh, I need to get some water. I need to get some sleep and edit this podcast tomorrow and get it out for you guys then. So enjoy the weekend. Enjoy this next week coming up. Uh, Keep trusting God again. um, Great, awesome time with Garrett. So much wisdom there. Hopefully we'll have him back again in the near future. This is that's it for this episode. I'm done for today's show. Bring in the dancing lobsters. <laughs>